نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار اما بعد Brothers and sisters in Islam, 
one of the most remarkable moral constructs that we have in our religion that serves to provide an equal opportunity for marriage for women who live in societies where the female to male ratio is significantly disproportionate and it broadens the path in which men can achieve the highest merit or the highest honor before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is the institution of polygyny. There are many social taboos and cultural stigmas surrounding the practice of polygyny in contemporary times that has evoked a plethora of emotions and sentiments among modern day Muslims. These sentiments oftentimes complicate the practice of polygyny amongst Muslims who choose to find love and companionship in a more unconventional or untraditional box. Understanding that love cannot be compartmentalized Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ مَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِرَجُلٍ مِّن قَلْبَيْنِ فِي Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that we have not made for any one man two hearts. We have not given any one man two hearts. And the Prophet sallallahu in the institution of polygyny, he demonstrated or illustrated the power that one heart has to provide love on a multitude of levels to a variety of people in countless or innumerable circumstances. Allah subhanahu the Prophet sallallahu when you look at his relationship with all of his wives, it shows you the power of love that this one man was able to provide all of these women that he was married to with what they needed in terms of their emotional connection, their, their financial needs being met, their physical needs being met, and he was just one man. Um Habiba radiallahu ta'ala the daughter of Abu Sufyan, the sister of Muawiyah, she said in a very profound statement, showing you that when she found the Prophet sallallahu although the marriage that she married into was an unusual and untraditional box that people don't usually find love, but she found it there and she was content with it. So much so that she wanted the same for her own blood sister. Um Habiba, she said to the Prophet sallallahu Ya Rasulullah, Inkih ukhti ibnata Abi Salama. Uh, Ibn, uh, Ibn Abi Sufyan, she said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, marry my sister, the daughter of Abu Sufyan. Marry my sister. And the Prophet ﷺ turned to his wife in amazement and he said to her, Would you love, would you like for me to marry your sister? Because this comment was unusual. But it spoke deeply to what she found in the Prophet Sallallahu and she wanted for her sister what she, the good that she found for herself. The Prophet Sallallahu said to Um Habiba, Would you like me to marry your sister? And Um Habiba, she said to the Prophet Sallallahu Naam Ya Rasulullah, Yes, O Messenger of Allah, فَإِنِّي لَسْتُ بِمُخَلِّيَ She said, I don't have you to myself anyway. I don't have you to myself anyway. I have to share you with other women. I have to share you with this ummah. I have to share you with your Lord. I have to share you with everything else. I don't have you to myself anyway. A woman who quickly came to the realization that your husband doesn't belong to you. We live in a time of narcissistic personality disorder where many of us suffer from a God complex. Women, they are married to a man and you believe that you own him. You don't own him. He doesn't belong to you. We take ownership of people, of human beings. That is a God complex. You don't own anything. You don't even own something as close as your heart as we will find at the end of this khutbah. You don't even own that. 
Something that is deep with inside your very own body, you don't even have control over. So how are you going to have control over something outside of yourself? It's a God complex. She said, let's to be I don't have you all to myself anyway. She said, She said, and I found good in you. And I would love for the person that wants to take part in the good that I found to be no one other than my own sister. I found good in you. And the reason why I'm, why I'm mentioning this is because when people look at polygyny, a lot of times they see lust. They don't see love. They don't see a man being married to multiple women, loving every single one of those women passionately within the capacity that he has to love those women in. They see lust, that this man is, can't control his desires, so he has to have multiple wives, more than one wife. Why can't he just satisfy himself with one wife? Because maybe he chooses to find love in a box other than the box that you put love in. We put love in a box. Love will transcend any box that you put it in. Because it's an emotion. You don't have any control over that. But she said that I would love for the one to partake in the good that I found in you. To be none other than my own sister. Polygyny, brothers and sisters, predates the religion of Islam. Leaving us to assume that it was most likely a frequently practiced institution or tradition in most nations before history was rewritten by an impartial pen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that marry the women of your choice that meet your preference. Marry the women that meet your preference. Two, three, or four. And if you fear that you cannot be fair between them, then restrict yourself to one. And if you notice in this ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started with two, not one. For all of those naysayers who have this reinterpretation of Islam, a reinterpretation of the Quran, that monogamy, that the, the, the standard institution of marriage was monogamy, it wasn't. Monogamy didn't come along into the rule of the Roman Catholic Church. Prior to that, the institution of marriage before that was polygyny, not monogamy. Do your history. Do your history. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began with two wives because the address, the khitab, in many verses in the Quran, it has a cultural context to it. Allah was addressing Arabs who had a long tradition before the religion of Islam of polygyny. So to address them with an address of monogamy would be counterproductive to them as a people, as a nation. So in you'll find in many verses in the Quran, there's a cultural context that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to these people, to this nation of people in the capacity of their culture. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began with two. Many of the Prophet's companions embraced Islam having a number of wives. And therefore, when they embraced Islam, those wives that they had that exceeded the limits that Islam proposed then they had to divorce those women and restrict themselves to the, the, the restrictions that Islam imposed on the believers. Many 
of us don't, don't understand and don't realize that Islam did not come to permit polygyny. It was something that was already being practiced way before Islam. However, Islam came to regulate polygyny. Not to permit it, but to regulate a tradition that was already being practiced before Islam. Ibn Umar, he said, Aslam Ghaylam Ibn Salama, a Thakafi, wa indahu Ashrat Niswa, for Amara Hunnabiu Salahu Ali was Salaman Yachtar min Hunna or Baan. Abdullah ibn Umar of the Lotter Anhu, he said, A man, a companion by the name of Ghaylan, Ibn Salama, a Thakafi, he embraced Islam, took his Shahada, embraced Islam, and he had ten wives. Ten wives. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, Ikhtar Arban, choose four and get rid of, and divorce the rest of them. Because Islam regulated the polygyny to four. Showing you that prior to Islam, there was no regulation. There was no divine doctrine per se that put regulations and restrictions around how many men or how a man could treat a woman or women. Islam came and established that. The Prophet ﷺ said, choose four and divorce the rest. And another hadith from the authority of Nufal ibn Muawiyah at daily قَالَ أَسْلَمْتُ وَكَانَتْ عِنْدِي خَمْسَةُ نِسْوَةُ فَقَالَ لِي النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ اِخْتَارَ مِنْ هُنَّ أَرْبَعًا That uh, another companion by the name of Nufal ibn Muawiyah at daily He said that I accepted Islam, I embraced Islam and I had five wives. He said, and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said to me, choose four and let the other one go. I can't think of a task that is more difficult than a man having to choose which wife he keeps from the wife that he chooses that he has to let go. Can you imagine a man being in love with all of these women and then accept Islam and then has to choose four of them? SubhanAllah, I can't think of a task any more difficult than that. The Prophet ﷺ prophesied that there were going to be drastic changes in the latter generations of Islam. And the world would experience these changes as a whole and from, and from them there would be a disproportionate number of men in comparison to women. The multitudes of women. As a matter of fact, the Prophet said the vast majority of the followers of the Dajjal, of the Antichrist, will be women. Because during that time, the vast majority of the earth will be women. The Prophet he said, in them in ashrat and yarfa al-ilm and yurfa al-ilm wa yakthur al-jahl wa yakthur al-zina wa yakthur al-shurb al-khamar wa yakill al-rijal wa yakthur al-nisa hatta yakuna li khamsina mra'a al-qiyam al-wahid the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that from the signs that the hour is near from the signs that the last hour is near is that knowledge will be removed and ignorance will be prevalent and yurfa al-ilm wa yakthur al-jahl knowledge will be removed will be lifted from the people and ignorance will be prevalent amongst them. Zina, fornication and adultery will be prevalent. Shurb al-Khamar, drinking intoxicants and digesting all types of intoxicants will be commonplace. rijal and men will become few. and the women will become in multitudes, they will be in abundance. Until there will be 50 women to one man. Fifty women. And he didn't say one husband. He said one man per fifty women. And the scholars they explained the reason why the Prophet didn't say one husband to fifty women, because regardless of what our circumstances is, 
Islam would never permit a man to marry more than four. Not only that, it also speaks to a deeper issue, and that is that relationships, because of this dynamic, will be reduced to a man just being the provider, and no longer love being a factor in the relationship. And here we are today, we marrying for stability, marrying for financial stability, marrying because we need companionship. We, 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 we objectify marriage to use it for our own benefit. Never mind what the other person wants out of the institution of marriage, it's what we want. I want to save myself from the hellfire, but the other person wants to be in love. I want to protect myself from fornication and adultery. You can do that by yourself. You don't need to marry somebody to help you stop fornicating. That's something that the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should already dictate. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّ فِي الْجَسَدِ لَمُضْغَةً إِذَا صَلَحَتْ صَلَحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ أَلَا وَهِيَ الْقَلْبُ That indeed in the body there's a lump of flesh. If that lump of flesh is healthy, sound, then the rest of the body will be healthy and sound. And if that lump of flesh is corrupt and unhealthy, then the rest of the body will be corrupt and unhealthy. And indeed that lump of flesh is the heart. Taming your desires as men and as women does not mean bringing someone into your space to marry to help you stop fornicating. That means you, you uh, tending to your heart, to the condition of your heart. That if your heart is healthy, then the rest of your body will be healthy, including your private part. But if your heart is unhealthy, your heart is unsound, then the rest of your body will be unhealthy and unsound, including your private area. Regardless of how many women you marry. Because we think that if I marry one woman and I, my sexual desires exceed that, and really in reality some of us are self-delusional, it's not your sexual desires exceed the one woman that you're married to. Your fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your, your lack of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has caused your desires to make you believe that having another wife will solve that problem. And then you marry another woman and the desire is still there. Because the solution to that problem is not another wife. The solution to that problem is another heart. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and yamunna alayka bi qalbin jadeed falaysa laka qalb. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless you with another heart because you don't have one. You don't have one. The scholars of the past, they said, find your heart in three places. Iltamis kulubakum fi thalatha mawadi'ah. Find your heart in three places. Fi hilak al-dhikr, in the circles of knowledge. You try to find that your heart is present in that moment. And when you are reading the Qur'an, you try to find that your heart is present in that moment. And when you are alone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, try to find your heart in that moment. If you can't find your plate in your heart in these three places, then just ask Allah to give you another heart because nine times out of ten you don't have one. It's dead. So we're bringing people into our space, marrying people, so we can help us stop fornicating, we can help us stop sinning. Fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would solve that problem and allow you to go into a marriage giving the person the genuine you, the real you. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that for every one man, there'll be qiyam al-wahid, there'll be one provider, one person to satisfy their needs. And he didn't say husband. Because this speaks to a, dip, differ, uh, a deeper issue, and that is that marriage and all of the components that make up a marriage, um, like love and compassion and mercy and companionship, will be absent, will be a non-factor. 
Rather, it would be about taking care of the financial needs without concern for the other elements of a relationship. So it doesn't just speak to a lack of men, but it also speaks to a lack of adherence to the traditional purpose of marriage. This narration in particular is something that should resonate with us today as an African-American, predominantly African-American Muslim community. Considering that all but 10 states in the United States, women outnumber men. In all of but 10 states in America currently, women in just about every state, with the exception of 10, outnumber men in every single state. And some of these numbers, some of these statistics fluctuate between five and seven. That means for every seven women in the United States, there's one man. And that only increases. And those numbers are significantly more disproportionate to African Americans considering the rise of homosexuality amongst our men, the rise in the, the school to prison pop, pop, pipeline where our children don't even make it to 21, 22, 23 years old where they have a job and they can take care of a family. They don't even make it to that point unless they strung out on drugs or the streets done swallowed them up. And those of us that do make it past that point, we become so happy that we did finally arrive. We become so narcissistic and so driven by wealth and accumulation of material things. But we are, the last thing on our mind is letting another woman into, letting another person into our space to share in that. These are, this, is our, this is our reality. This is our narrative. So our communities, while, for, while you know, fortified with the culture of Islam, especially here in Philadelphia, you find the culture of Islam here on every corner. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. While fortified with the culture of Islam, we have been weakened by a lack of preparation for these changing times, which since has put our women in a very vulnerable place. Our women right now, those women sitting behind us right now, many of them are in a very vulnerable place right now because of these facts. Because of these facts right now. They are not allowed to marry outside of the Muslim community. Haram for a Muslim woman to marry someone other than a Muslim. And if she does marry a man that is not a Muslim, your marriage is invalid and you are committing adultery. You are committing adultery. For every day, every minute that you are married to that man, Islam does not acknowledge that marriage. This society that we live in may acknowledge it, but what do you do when you stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Arsh al-Azim, the owner of the magnificent throne, Malikul Muluk, the king of all kings, subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do you justify that? Nonetheless, when women in the community see that Muslim men are responsible in their communities by taking care of their women and taking care of their children. It gives them strength to reject the thoughts and the ideas that tend to trickle over into the Muslim community from the non-Muslim community. The Prophet as it was said by Um Salama, excuse me, Um Sulaim, it was mentioned in the narration that the mother of Anas ibn Malik Um Sulaim, she was made a proposal by a man who was a non-Muslim at the time, Abu Talha. Abu Talha at this time was an idolater, but he took an interest in Um Sulaim. And Um Sulaim, her husband, Malik's, um, Anna's father, Malik ibn Nadr, he was, he was killed as a disbeliever, and she remained single until this particular point. Vulnerable, 
but there was a, a safety net in the Muslim community because women didn't just linger around in the community unmarried. So Abu Talha, he made a proposal to Umm Sulaim. And Umm Sulaim listened to her response to Abu Talha. She said, مِثْلُكَ لَا يُرَدْ إِذَا خَطَبَ مَرَأَ she said that a man such as yourself should never be rejected when he asks for a woman's hand in marriage. You're a good dude, I see you. She said, But she said, but you an idolater and I'm a Muslim. And it's not permissible for me to be with somebody like you. What afforded her the strength to reject his proposal? Many of our Muslim women right now, single, if the right dude come along, even if he is a non-Muslim, some of you might go that direction. Given the right circumstances, given the right situation, because you look back at your own Islamic community and you say, why not? Who else is going to marry me? Who else meets my standards in my own community? Why not? This is the vulnerability that we subject our women to. While we marry non-Muslim women, while we marry to a Muslim woman, and yet we're seeking non-Muslim women. In haram relationships, we're giving birth to children that are non-Muslims. How you giving your child a Muslim name, and your child was placed into a womb that was haram for it to be nurtured in? You put your child in the womb of a non-Muslim woman to be nurtured for nine months and then the child comes out and you're having a Muslim gathering, you're celebrating the fact that you brought a child into this world in a manner that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is displeased with. How dare you? And then have the audacity to say that the child belongs to the bed. You have got to be kidding me. The least thing that you can do is take care of the child. You're the one that put him in the womb of a non-Muslim woman to be nurtured for nine months. And they have the audacity to say that the child belongs to the bed. MashaAllah, what type of Islam is this? What type of Islam is this? Please tell me. But Um Sulaim, she said, A man such as yourself should never be rejected when he asks for a woman's hand in marriage. She said, but you are a disbeliever and I'm a believing woman. It's not permissible for me to marry somebody like you. She said, but I'll tell you what. She said, if you accept Islam, I'll make your Islam my dowry and I won't ask you for nothing else. What do you think he did? He took his shahada on the spot. Because the strength, this woman's strength, and that strength is just a reflection of the community that was behind her. Where are our women at? Where are our women at? And yet we pride ourselves on the Islamic community. But look at the condition of our women, man. That tells a whole other story. So she had the spiritual fortitude to reject his offer because of her fear and her consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also because there were solid options available amongst her own faith community. And in the absence of this, this is what creates an atmosphere of desperation amongst our women. Women marrying into all types of situations today. Situations that if our community was stronger, some of these, some of us right now in this room wouldn't even be married. Wallahi, some of the women that are married to us right now, if there were other options available in our community, we wouldn't even be married right now. The mere fact that many of us are married right now is an indication that the desperation amongst our sisters is ridiculous. Some of us wouldn't even be married right now. Some brothers parading around with multiple wives, knowing Dagon well and Jackie Lee, and no woman even looked in your direction. 
because of the desperation in our condition. Wallah alazim, man. Another example of this is Asma bint Umais, this amazing woman. The sister of Maymunah, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. She was married to Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, Ali's brother Ja'far, from the very beginning. She migrated with Ja'far to Ethiopia and she gave birth to four of his children there. Can you imagine this woman leaving her hometown of Mecca, fleeing with her husband to a whole other country to give birth to her children there? She gave birth to in Ethiopia to Abdullah own Muhammad Abdullah own and Muhammad excuse me three children and when Jafar was martyred during one of the battles guess who married her after Jafar died Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu making her his fourth wife Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu was married to Asma bint Umais and she gave birth to his children she gave birth to Muhammad who was the half brother of Aisha they didn't not it didn't it wasn't it didn't take anything away from her. Today we talking about oh she got kids. I don't want to marry no woman that got kids. But you got kids. 3 4 different baby mothers, but yet you come to the table talking about you don't want to marry a woman with kids. You've got to be kidding me. You got 3 different baby mothers, one from Jahiliyyah and the other two will all knows best whether those were Islamic or not. And then you come to the table talking about I don't want a mother, I don't want a wife with children. Who else going to take care of them? The system, you have brothers who encourage their women to get on welfare. This is the type of environment that we're living in. We have got it all the way messed up. How do we encourage a woman to get on welfare, to, make, to lighten our financial load so we can go off and marry another woman with the extra money that we have? This woman on welfare, this woman on welfare. You have got to be kidding me, man. This is, our, this is the reality. And this is why people from other cultures don't take us serious. You can't possibly be serious. And wonder why we give salams to other cultures, other communities, and they walk right past us and be like, that. you just gonna walk past me and not give me the salam? People don't even take us serious. Abu Bakr married her, making her his fourth wife. And when Abu Bakr died, he left behind four wives, Qutayla, Bintu Abdul Uzza, Umm Ruman, who was the mother of Aisha, Asma bintu Umais, and another woman by the name of Habiba bintu Kharija. Four women he died leaving behind these four wives. All of these men had more, multiple wives because these men were not going to allow these women to float around the community, not allow these children to be raised in the community by single women. Look at what is happening to our community because of single women. Look at what is happening to our children. They're frustrated, they're angry, they're upset, they're confused. Some of them don't even know if they're men or not. Because of the absence of a man. And we sit back from a place of privilege talking about, I don't want a woman with children. How? Or vice versa, we marry a woman with children, we take care of her. We are, we are better stepdad than we are a biological dad. You take care of your stepkids better than you do your own biological children. Wallah alazim, we need to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, brothers and sisters. And after Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu died, guess who married her after that? Ali bin Abi Talib, the brother of her first husband, Jafar. 
And Ali ibn Abi Talib married her, making Fatima the first wife and Asma being the second wife. So she eventually ended up in polygyny anyway. And she gave birth to a number of Ali's children. She gave birth to Yahya, Aun, and another son named Muhammad. For all of you women who don't want to name your son Muhammad, Wallah Aladim is the best name that you can choose for a son. And she was given a nickname in the Ummah of Islam as Umm Muhammadain, the mother of two Muhammads. She had a son, Muhammad, from her first husband, Jaffa, and she had a second son, Muhammad, from her, from her, from her last husband, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Jafar's brother. Both of them named Muhammad. Subhanallah. Umm Muhammadain. That speaks volumes to their community. Speaks volumes of where they were in their community. You know the phrase, no child left behind in their community, there was no woman left behind. Today we leave all our women behind. We leave all of our women behind. And she used to assist Ali with Fatima when Fatima was on her deathbed. This is the, just a, the, the most picture-perfect relationship between co-wives. Fatima's on her deathbed and the new wife, Esma bint Umais, comes in and is assisting him with her sickness until she died. So marriage, brothers and sisters, irrespective of how many children a woman had or how many times that she was married in the community, was always an option for her due to the moral standards of the men in that community. Today we seek honor from you know, the standards of the people of disbelief and other faiths, which is a sign of our hypocrisy. We'll wave the flag and stand in solidarity with homosexuals. We'll stand in solidarity with the LGBT community, mashallah, tabarakallah, but polygyny will frown at that. Men having more than one wife will frown at that. But yet we'll stand in solidarity, mashallah, tabarakallah, with the, with the LGBT community. How, how hypocritical is that? You want to remove something from the Qur'an that was there and you want to stand in solidarity with a group of people that are cursed in the Qur'an. This is where we are today, mashallah, tabarakallah. When the shooting happened in Orlando, Muslims flocked to Orlando, standing in solidarity with the LGBT community. But get on a minbar, get on a podium and condemn Muslims for practicing polygyny. How hypocritical are we? If the Prophet could see this ummah today, La ilaha illallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that it's hypocrisy for us to seek honor by the standards of those who disbelieve. Yabtabuna indahumul izza, walillahil izza tu jami'an, and that you seek honor from them. When in fact all honor belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَتَتَّبِعُونَ سُنَنَ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمْ شِبْرًا بِشِبْرٍ وَذِرَاعًا بِذِرَاعًا حَتَّى إِذَا دَخَلُوا جُحْرِ الضَّبٍ لَدَخَلْتُمُوهُ قَالُوا مَنْ هُمْ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ الْيَهُودَ وَالنَّصَارَ قَالَ فَمَنْ the Prophet said that you will continue to follow the traditions of the nations that came before you. Hand span by hand span, arms length by arms length, that if they crawled into the lizard hole, you would follow them. The Sahaba said, who are you referring to, O Messenger of Allah, Jews and Christians? He said, for men, who else? Who else am I referring to? Our honor is in having material things, possession, material possessions in this world. While our sisters in Islam can't find a spouse. 
MashaAllah, tabarakallah, you ride around in your nice car, you live in your big house, you live in the American dream, MashaAllah, tabarakallah, while your sisters in Islam live in the American nightmare. Can't find a spouse. All these men in the community, MashaAllah, tabarakallah, afraid of what type of friction that's going to cause with your first wife. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even want to go there. I don't want no drama. But part of what makes you a leader is dealing with the friction that comes with being a leader. Being in a position of leadership doesn't come easy. We want to slide, coast through life without any friction, without any waves. It's okay for you to be uncomfortable. I was born in uncomfortable. I was born in that situation. We're born in our mother's wombs, pushed out, uncomfortable the whole time. The mother's uncomfortable, the child is uncomfortable. We're pushed out into a world that is very new. No teeth, don't know how to talk, can't walk. We're uncomfortable, that's life. It's okay. Nonetheless, these sisters can't find role models for their children. While we parade around the community with nice cars and homes, the Prophet said, The Prophet said, He does not believe in Allah in the last day who goes to sleep and his, his neighbor is hungry. How do we go to sleep at night knowing that our women in our community can't find husbands? They're raising all of these single children in the community. While we know brothers go to this one community, this community, get married here, get married here, and we see the sister single there, nobody helping her to raise her children all by herself. And we're okay with that. We go to sleep every night, not my problem. The Prophet said, he is not a believer in Allah in the last day who lets his neighbor, while he sleeps and lets his neighbor starve. We ain't talking about a neighbor, we're talking about our sisters in Islam. Brothers and sisters in Islam, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I represent a mirror. I represent a mirror. I'm just holding a mirror up to the Islamic community, showing us our real self. Because we get inundated, we get intoxicated with what we think we are. Until somebody rips that false reality down, those false facts, and hands you real facts. And we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives us for the mess that we've made of our communities, the mess that we've made of our children, the mess that we've made of his religion subhanahu wa ta'ala. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Azim wa nafa'ani wa iyyakum bima ja'a fihi min al-ayati wa dhikri al-hakim aqulu ma tasma'un astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa li sa'il al-mu'minin min kulli dhamm fastaghfiruhu innahu huwa al-ghafuru rahim الحمد لله العلي الجبار غافل الذنب وقابل التوب الشديد الإقاب وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Brothers and sisters in Islam The condition of our communities today is a result of our negligence as men We use the my rights card when we conveniently demand the allowances that Islam has granted us which are predicated on the fulfillment of our roles as men. And as the saying goes, And just as you sow, so shall you reap. That's, that statement holds true even in our communities. Picture the community of the Prophet with a bunch of women 
unmarried, not able to get married, with children running around the community because the men failed to do their job in maintaining and sustaining the community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whoever honors, honors the symbols of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then indeed that is from an indication of the taqwa, the piety that is in the heart. Our lack of honor and respect for this institution and our time is indicative of our lack of consciousness and fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, usually founded upon a lack of knowledge. This institution of polygyny was designed to help preserve the morality of the society that we live in, not to contribute to the immorality that we live in. The main criterion for practicing polygyny is the quality of fairness, that a man is able to be fair amongst his wives in the things that he is able to be fair in. When a man makes a decision to expand his family, and that is the, that is the mindset of a man that is going into polygyny, Miss me with all of the other, you know, I have a high sex drive and all of that other stuff. No, you are going into polygyny because you want to expand on the family that you have already built. After discussing that with your wife, after discussing that with your family, as a man, you are the king. You are the man of your family. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you that. And men are the protectors and maintainers of the women because of the strength that Allah has given one of them over the other and because the man spends from his wealth. That is what gives us a qawama. That is what gives us that a position of authority, that position of leadership. That takes nothing away from our women because they are leaders in their own right as well. But our position was something that was given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this institution that was given to us was designed to contribute to the well-being of society, not contribute to the ratchetness of the society. And so when a man makes a decision to expand his family, the main component to this transition is fairness. However, there are things that men will never be able to exercise fairness in, and that is the love that is in his heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that you will never be able to be fair between your wives, even if it is your desire to do so. You will never be able to be fair between them. And the fairness that Allah is talking about here is the fairness of the heart. You will never be able to be fair. Can a man love more than one woman? Yes, but he will never be able to love them equally. We can't even love our children equally the same. There's no child, no parent in here that can say with a straight face that you love all, every single one of your children equally the same. Yes, there's a baseline love that you have for all of your children, but there are some whom your heart inclines to more than the others, without a doubt. That's just human. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you will never be able to be fair, exercise fairness between your wives, even if it is your desire to do so. But if you rectify the situation as much as you can and fear Allah, for indeed Allah is forgiving and merciful. We don't have control over our hearts. That is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Aisha said that the dua that the Prophet sallallahu used to make the most was Allahumma ya muqallib al-kulub thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Oh Allah, change it of the hearts. Change my heart on obedience to you. <coughs> so Anas ibn Malik radiallahu he said to the Prophet sallallahu is as if you are in fear for us, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, He said, why should I not be in fear for you when the hearts of the children of Adam are in between the two fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he changes the hearts however he wills. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. The Prophet made it very clear that he loved her more than he loved any of his other wives. However, there's a power that is greater than ourselves that is directing our hearts that we have no control over. And can you imagine the mess that we would make of our lives if the decision to love someone was totally in our hands? We would end up loving the wrong person. We would end up spending most of our lives loving someone that don't deserve, that didn't deserve our love. We would spend most of our lives wasting away the blessing of love, which many people never even get to experience in this life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and the human being supplicates for evil just as often as he supplicates for good. And indeed, the human being is the most hasty of creatures. That even in our dua, we make dua for things that are harmful for us. So could you imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaving the task of our hearts to ourselves? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took that task from us. And he subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that controls the hearts, not us. Because if that task was left to us, we would destroy ourselves. We make dua for things that are harmful for us. How much more if we had control over our hearts? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us that the lens, our lens of what is good for us and what is not, is sometimes blurred due to a number of factors. Either our own personal biases, conflicts of interest, misprioritizing our needs and our wants. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took on the task of directing our heart himself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَعَسَىٰ أَن تَقْرَهُ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ شَرٌ وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَعَسَىٰ أَن تُحِبُّ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ شَرٌ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that perhaps you hate a thing and it is good for you. And perhaps you love a thing and it is bad for you. Allah knows and you don't know. The scholars say, That if the servant knows and realizes that the thing he loves could possibly come in the form of the thing that he hates, and the thing that he hates could possibly come in the form of the thing that he loves, then it becomes an obligation upon him to turn his affairs over to the one who knows, realizing that he doesn't know. 
Turn it over to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he knows and you don't know. Allah knows what's best for us. We don't know what's best for us. And if you know that Allah knows what's best for you, then don't circumvent Allah's decision for you. When Allah decides for you, you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to give you better, but you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make you, make you pleased with what he has chosen for you. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and you don't know. And it was for this reason that the Prophet wasallam asked Allah to pardon him and forgive him for the one whom his heart inclined towards amongst his wives more than the other. The Prophet wasallam said, Allahumma hadha qasni fi ma amlik, fala talummani fi ma tamlik wa la amlik. He said, oh Allah, this is my distribution amongst my wives and the things that I have control over, meaning my time, my money. These are things that I have control over. Oh Allah, this is my distribution amongst my wives and the things that I have control over. So do not hold me accountable for the things that I have no control over and you have full control over. That means my heart, the inclination of my heart. I have no control over that. But along with this inclination, the Prophet ﷺ still maintained a level of fairness between his wives. Just because your heart inclines towards one more than the other does not mean that you, result, that you resort to being unfair between your wives or between your children. As, um Sal- as Aisha anha, she said to her nephew Abdullah ibn Zubair, she said, Ya ibn Ukhti, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam la yufadlilu ba'dana ala ba'd fil qism bil qasmi min muqtihi indana. She said, oh my nephew, she said, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, never gave preference to one of us over the other in terms of his wealth and how much time that he spent with us. He never gave preference to one of us over the other. Um Salama, when the Prophet وسلم, married her, Aisha said, Ma hazintu ala man tazawwaja Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam huzni ala Ummi Salama bima qila fi jamaliha wa husniha. Aisha said, I was never more jealous than any woman the Prophet ﷺ married like I was over Um Salama because of what I heard people talking about her beauty and her character. I was jealous of this woman. When the Prophet ﷺ married Um Salama, she was a matron, she was married previously. So when the Prophet ﷺ, after being with her for three days, he got up to leave. Um Salama grabbed the back of his shirt, didn't want him to leave because it wasn't just about lust, it was about love, there was a connection there. And the Prophet ﷺ, he turned around and he said, He said that you should not be considered a source of humility or a humiliation in your, in, your, in your tribe because they took issue with the fact that she was the daughter of one of the great chiefs of Quraysh, yet she married into polygyny with the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet told her, in shitti sabatuki, that if you want, I'll stay with you for seven days. But if I stay with you for seven days, I gotta stay with the rest of my wives for seven days. And she let his shirt go because she understood that if he stayed with her for those days, she would be forfeiting about two months worth of days. And she was smart enough to let that go. She let his shirt go. Even on his deathbed, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam made sure that he didn't slight any of his wives. The Prophet وسلم, in ending this khutbah, he used to go in and out of consciousness up to the last days of his life. He would go in and out of consciousness and when he would wake up, he would say, Aina ana ghadan, Aina ana ghadan, where am I tomorrow? Meaning, whose house am I at tomorrow? He's still going in and out of consciousness, still trying to calculate whose day is what, whose day is what, even while he's going in and out of consciousness. Many of us are free thinking, healthy men, and we still don't give the wives their time, their due time. What is our excuse? 
Here's a man on his deathbed, still trying to calculate whose day is what. Trying to make sure that the day that he dies, he dies in the house of the woman that he loved more than anyone else. And that was Aisha. So Aisha, I just want you, I wanted to just share this with you. This wasn't initially a part of the khutbah, but I wanted to share this last moment of the Prophet's life with you. Aisha, she said, She said, from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on me. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to wufiya fi bayti. Wa fi yawmi. Wa bayna sahri wa nahri. She said, from the blessings, the many blessings that Allah has given me, is that He allowed the Messenger of Allah to die in my house, on my night, laying on my chest. SubhanAllah. That He allowed the Messenger of Allah to die in my house, on my night. And only people in polygyny understand that. In my house, on my night, laying on my chest, between my neck and my, but between my breast and my neck. Laying here on my chest. She said, in the, she said, Anna Allah Jalla wa ala bain jama'a bain riki wa riqahu in the motihi. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the last things Allah did was allow my saliva and his saliva to mix right before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his soul. She said, Dakhla Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr, my brother Abdurrahman walked in while the Prophet was laying on my lap, laying on my chest. My brother Abdurrahman walked in and he had a miswak in his mouth. She said, and I knew how much the Prophet ﷺ loved to clean his mouth with the miswak. And he began to motion to Abdurrahman. And when I noticed what he was looking at, I took the miswak from Abdurrahman and I cleaned it with my saliva and I put it in the mouth of the Prophet ﷺ. And he died with my saliva in his mouth. He died on my house, at my house, on my night, on my chest. The last thing in his mouth was my saliva. No honor greater than that. Polygyny was an honor for these women. It wasn't a source of shame. Many of us, the feelings and the sentiments that we have about people in polygyny has complicated the practice of polygyny in our community. You don't have to necessarily agree with your sister's decision to marry into polygyny. You don't have to agree with it. Because while you say to the sister, you better than that, what is she better than? So what are you saying? The wives of the Prophet ﷺ, that she's better than them? <coughs> you better than that? You gonna marry into polygyny? You better than that? She better than the wives of the Prophet ﷺ? These are the best of the women in our community. There is none better. There's none better than the wives of the Prophet ﷺ and they were in polygyny. Happily married, happily in love with this man. While we shame people for being in polygyny. And while you raising this sister, bigging her up, gassing her head up, you talking about, oh, you better than this. Why are you going into polygyny? Have you got another man for me? You want me to be single with you? I'm sorry. Girl, bye. Keep it moving. You want me to be with you? I found love. I'm good with finding love in a not unconventional box. I'm good with that. You be good being single. Let me know how that worked out for you. Are you going to condemn somebody for trying to find love in a place where they feel comfortable finding love? Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, brothers and sisters. This is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. And wallah aladheem, I make no qualms. I make no, I make no issues with that. I rep polygyny. I have, I have no issues with that. I have no issues with that. The women that I'm married to have no issues with that. I'm not ashamed of it. 
We'll brag about how many women we got, how many chicks we slayed, how many dudes we done ran through. Right? We, we brag about all of the wrong things. But then we got brothers and sisters in shame that they're in polygyny. But yet we bragging about how many women we done smashed. MashaAllah to barakallah. What type of Islam is this, brothers and sisters? Please tell me. Maybe I'm delusional. Maybe I'm the one that got it messed up. We need to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, brothers and sisters, and respect this institution that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our shortcomings. Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-huda wa wa al-fafa wa al-ghina. Oh Allah, we ask you for guidance. We ask you for self-sufficiency. We ask you for taqwa. We ask you for piety and righteousness and fear of you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Oh Allah, we ask you for the good of this life and the good of the hereafter and to save us from the hellfire. Now, the, the breakfast. When is it? Sunday. Come, come on, Father, Father, come on. We just have a quick announcement before we call the economy, inshallah.